Well, I certainly wasn't expecting that introduction. Um, all right. It is so good to be here with you all. Um, King's Chapel has, has been a huge blessing in our family's life. Um, you guys loved us so well while we were here in university. You loved us well while we were on the mission field. And wow, you have loved us really well as we have returned. Uh, really thankful. You have been a, a refreshment uh, to us as we've come back and um, just rekindled relationships. Um, it's been really good, really sweet. Uh, I am so excited to co-labor with you all, friends, the advancement of the gospel in Carrollton. Really happy to be here, really happy to work with the youth, and I look forward to getting you all, getting to know you all more uh, in the coming months and weeks. Let's now, uh, let's turn our attention to God's word. So we are in, still in John, John chapter 3, and we come to probably the most well-known scripture verse in all of the Bible, which has been called the gospel in miniature, John 3, 16. So we'll look at John 3, verse 16, all the way to verse 21. If you would follow along with me in your Bibles, it's also on the screen. I pray that this very common, well-known text will hit us afresh this morning. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Let us pray. Our Father, do what only you can do. Bring freedom, bring life. We pray all of this in the name of our great Savior and for his glory. Amen. There was a guy in my youth group growing up named Paul, and uh, he started playing basketball with me before and after youth group. Uh, and this was a surprise to me because he was a high schooler and I was a little middle schooler. Uh, and I don't know, at least in my day, middle schoolers and high schoolers didn't mix, you know, those were two worlds that remained very, very, very separate. And so I was really blown away. This guy was also like 10 times better of a basketball player than me. And I was just kind of blown away by his um, 
kindness to me. He would buy me Gatorade, which was like a big deal to me. I was like, wow. Uh, and uh, he would give me rides and, you know, it was, it was all going really great. Um, until um, his family began to get closer and closer with my family and things got uncomfortable fast because he was around me all the time. The uncomfortable part of that was the fact that he was running to God. He loved God and I was running from God. Now, I wouldn't have said that. I wouldn't have even admitted that, but my life showed it. I was living for my self. And this guy, Paul, saw straight through my churchy smile. And I knew it. He knew what was going on inside my life. He could see the darkness in me. And yet, even as he saw that darkness, he just pressed all the more gently and slowly and lovingly into my life. Before he could even have a come to Jesus conversation with me, the love of God brought me to my knees and my life has never been the same since. This is a picture of the extravagant love of God. This is what this passage is all about, the invasion of incredible love, unthinkable love, love that is so great we cannot even fathom, for God so loved the world. Now, even a non-believer coming to this text can be like, wow, that sounds rather grand, amazing perhaps. Um, Maybe for some, it, it seems a little, a little distant, but here's the reality of God's love is it is moving closer and closer and closer into our reality, into our personal space. This is what his love does. It presses further and further into our lives. And we have two options. We can run for the hills and hide or we can run to this incredible God and bask in the warmth of the light of his love. So what will you do today, friends? Um, as you believe in the Lord Jesus, we have this incredible promise that you will be free from condemnation and that you will share an eternal life, life with God, the way that we were created to live. Now, last week we saw that John was peeling behind the curtain of how a believer finds new life. We've discovered that the believer receives a new nature by the power of the Spirit. Now we come back to this very basic idea of what has God done to bring the kingdom of God? And it starts with the invasion of the Son of God into our world, into our reality. Without this key starting point, we would be lost in our sin, totally blind, just living in utter darkness. So the question again is, are you hiding or are you letting this light shine into your life? So this passage, I've broken it down in, in two ways. One, an extravagant love invades our worlds. Worlds that don't seem to be able to touch. <laughs> touch. It's a profound entrance of God into our existence. 
And God is crossing massive boundaries to meet us where we are. But not only that, this extravagant love invades our very darkness. He gets personal. He gets very, very, very close to bring us that love. And yes, this God is even going to cross into our mess. So extravagant love invades our world. Think of this, God, the creator of the universe, with all wealth, with all authority, with all power, the one who is completely sufficient in and of himself. He has no needs, totally happy in and of himself. This God is going to come to us. This is really unthinkable. This is like a, a president who after finishing his term becomes a garbage man. So I'm really committed to the people. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get in their trash. I'm gonna care for them. That's unthinkable, right? That's a little crazy to imagine. Think of the status of the Son of God. Think of the pure bliss of eternity with his Father. Such beauty. And yet he would come to this filthy place with our stench. Things that don't seem to belong together are going to collide. And that impact of his coming still rings loud to this day. Now, Nicodemus, hearing this, and the original readers, the original hearers of this would have also thought this was rather unthinkable, rather amazing. They knew God was transcendent. They knew God was holy, yet he's going to enter into our existence. But I believe they also would have expected the verse to go more like this, for God so loved Israel that he gave. You see, God's love is, is so much bigger than Nicodemus could have fathomed, than you and I could have fathomed. You see, in the Old Testament, they were taught over and over again that a Messiah was coming, that light was coming, and in fact, the Jews were to be a light to the Gentile people. And yet they had lost their way and they had become very narrow and fixated upon themselves. Jesus is making it clear. No, my kingdom is going to expand to every tribe, tongue, and nation. There will be no limits. It's going to press in throughout the whole world. Yes, even the dirty Gentiles. Even the dirty Gentiles, worlds that don't seem to touch, are going to be brought together by the Son of God. Now, we also today desperately need to have our minds expanded on the fullness of the love of God. We're so familiar with this verse. And the reality is, we tend to have a rather weak notion of love. I mean, our English language doesn't help us so much. I say 
so often, I love cheeseburgers. Oh, I was like, I love cheeseburgers. I'm so thankful to be back in America. I can actually enjoy them frequently. Um, but then the next sentence, I can say, I, I love you, Blair. Um, and, and, and something's something's kind of wrong, right? Either we have a, a very odd and an embarrassing obsession with cheeseburgers, um, or we have a pitiful, very weak love for our spouses. Our language doesn't help us. Actually, in this American context, it seems as though our understanding of love is as weak as that fluctuation of hunger and preferences given the divorce rates in our country. Love in Scripture so much more profound. It is this willful, unbreakable commitment. Meeting our deepest needs, right? Sacrificial actions from that love, not just an idea, but from that love is gonna come real life, tangible actions that display that love. So God, here in our passage, we see he sends his ultimate prophet to communicate who he is. Now, he, he doesn't merely send any messenger. He sends his one and only son. This is actually profound insight into who God is. God, from all eternity, is both father and son and spirit, as we learned last week. And it assumes here that the Father has been with the Son. If you've been reading, you know the Father has, and the Son have been together for all eternity. And it is the Son that comes from the Father from all eternity. And here we have a display in history itself of the Father and the Son, the Son coming from the Father into our existence. So what's the point? Look, God gives his best gifts. He doesn't give cheaply. Now, in my family, um, I grew up in a family that we were notorious for re-gifting. Um, we were notorious uh, for giving cheap gifts. And it wasn't because we didn't love other people, okay? When I was a kid, I, I wanted to go get myself a toy. I wanted to go to the yard sale because that was where we went. That was where we got our presents. So we were rather cheap Gift givers, God, no way. He is not a cheap giver. He gives himself to us. This is what the Father was doing. He was giving us more of himself in the coming of the Son. And in doing so, he is gonna reconnect us with our maker to restore what was lost. So a person who believes in the only son, they actually begin to enter into that eternal fellowship that's been happening between the father, the son, and the spirit. We're brought into it to taste it. This is the essence of life, eternal life. <laughs> that's what we're talking about. Intimate fellowship with God for all eternity. Now, we often don't get the 
magnitude of his love for us, again, because we often just assume God's supposed to love us. Isn't that his job, <laughs> right? We just assume everything. But we need to really think about the situation here. <laughs> we who are so weak, we who are so small and so insignificant, it is this almighty God who is gonna come and he's gonna dwell with us. It is arrogance. It is incredible presumption to assume we deserve this love from this God. When I returned uh, to Malaysia after seminary, um, I experienced what many missionaries experience, and that is a collapse of my plans. Um, I had moved into one area to work with one particular church, and it had not even been a full year, and one of our local churches says, we really need you at this other congregation, at this other part of the city. Now, at that same time, I was really struggling in a relationship with a friend, I was experiencing a great amount of failure. I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't work this thing out. I was really struggling. So here was needing to move across town, feeling totally discombobulated, and I was experiencing this great failure. And I was just feeling very discouraged. And our sending church in Charlotte at that time, um, they caught word of the situation, some of the leaders uh, were aware of what was going on. And, um, you know, it would have been amazing if they would have just wrote me and said, hey, we're praying for you, we love you. But no, they, they said, we're gonna send our senior pastor. Um, now, this senior pastor, um, well-respected man in, in, in Charlotte, um, he, he was pastoring at that time a, a, a church of around 600 plus. Um, he was extremely busy as a senior pastor. Um, he was also part-time at the seminary and had just finished his PhD. It was in the middle of, of kind of finishing up his book that he was writing. And I was thinking to myself, this guy is going to travel 10,000 miles of uncomfortable travel, by the way. Um, he's gonna spend $1,500 on a plane ticket, not to do a big, wonderful pastor's conference, not to do a book signing, but to be with little old me in my misery. It felt extravagant, and my friends, it was. But this is nothing compared to the extravagant love of our God in sending the Lord Jesus. Extravagant love has been poured out for the poor, for the destitute, for the weak, for the miserable, for the lonely, for the brokenhearted. That is what our God has done for us. Now, I believe this is still hard for us in our cultural context. Okay, we have what is called a low power distance culture. That's the opposite of what our life was 
in Asia. Now the children in Asia, out of respect for adults, they don't even look at them in the eye. They don't even look at them in the eye, right? There's a sense, they're not, they don't speak to adults unless they are spoken to. Now in our context, I don't have to tell you that most of our three and four-year-olds, five-year-olds, they think they're the boss, right? They have no problem telling adults what they think and what they want. Or consider this, places like Thailand is a criminal offense to speak against the king. Well, in our country, to speak against a leader is, is you know, no, it's, it's like nine-year-old boys doing trash talk against each other on the playground. This is just no big deal. We can have a, a sense of lack of awareness for authority and those who are separate from us. And we just need to be crystal clear for us to get this passage that God is not on our level. He is far beyond us. So for him to come and enter in, it's mind-blowing. We're gonna be stuck in John 3.16 for the rest of your life if you just can really grasp how incredible this is. So this morning, ask God to show you, do you have a weak view of, of love, of God's love? Have you missed the sense of awe in who God is and his greatness and the great incredible mystery that he would come to us? Do you pray and ask God to remove any presumption, any arrogance, that we would see the love of God afresh, that he came for such lowly creatures as you and I? But the situation is actually far worse than this. Um, it's not that we were merely lowly. It's that we, we hated him. We, we, we have lived with our whole lives dedicated to our own glory, to living in darkness. So actually, in fact, Jesus is coming into enemy territory people that don't want to have anything to do with him, people who are living in just completely contrary to who God is. God is light. He is pure. We are dark and impure. For God so loved the world extravagant love enters into our darkness, enters into our mess. Now we need to be clear, this word, the world, is used 186 times in the Greek, and every time it comes with sinful connotations. We're supposed to catch that, for God to love the world, this place, these people, the situation is quite bleak. Notice verse 16 and 17. They all assume that the people in this world are headed in a really bad direction, that this is not going to end well. 
Verse 16, whoever believes in him should not perish. Perishing is the future for all who are not connected to the son. This is the subtle bad news that's tucked into this verse of good news. Verse 17 says that there are those who are saved. And these Jews reading this is very clear what these people are being saved from. It is the judgment of Almighty God. It is God in his good justice carrying that out. The expectation is that this is coming in a particular way. This would have been expected that the Messiah himself would be bringing this judgment, but not to us. <laughs> maybe maybe to, to those people but this is putting everyone in the same category. Look at verse 18. Midway through, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. So this condemnation for those who are in unbelief, it's just, it's just hovering over their head, this condemnation. Now it's interesting, the passage just before this is Jesus didn't come to bring condemnation. That is true. His first coming, that is not the primary focus of his ministry. It will be for his second. But that doesn't mean that this condemnation is not going to dominate the lives of those who reject him. Even without Christ's direct confrontation, everyone on this planet knows they deserve condemnation. The unbeliever spends his whole life trying to convince him that everything is okay, that he is okay. You could say we've, uh, we've become professional self-help therapists to ourselves, all of us, right? We just, I'm not as bad as I really feel that I am, and I'm not as bad as maybe these people think that I am. We're just trying to convince ourselves that we're okay. Now, I got a psychology degree uh, from the University of West Georgia here, um, and I still remember one of our professors um, just really going on these rants about how bad things had, have gotten in terms of how people have abused psychology. Um, he talked of a personal experience of a teenager who vandalized his car, just keyed that thing all over. The parents come over and they say, I'm sorry, my son has a little bit of mental health problems. And, and then they walk away as if that, that settled it, as if there, was, there would be no cost. Self-justification. We've actually become experts at it. It's the cause of so many marital fights. It's why they go on and on and on and on. Because you have two people who are desperately seeking to justify their actions and their behavior. But on a more basic level, we, we kind of try to hide this condemnation that we feel by just busying ourselves with work. More work, 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 work. I have so many things to do. I'm so important. And we work. And we fill ourselves just incredible noise. Incredible noise, social media, 
the news, Netflix shows. Um, we got to keep finding new Netflix shows. Um, I, we just got to get our kids doing a hundred different activities because if we were to stop, it would be rather painful to face the reality of our own darkness, the condemnation that we feel. There was a um, November 2023 USA Today article titled this, U.S. Suicide Rates reaches highest point in more than 80 years. Suicide is the ultimate tragedy of living in this unbearable trap of condemnation, of a condemnation that, that we all know that we, that we deserve. We know something is wrong. Something's not right with me. We're all haunted by this inescapable darkness. We often don't know how to get out. But in case we're not clear, verse 20, people stay in the darkness because it says their works were evil. Their works were evil. We, we, we love the darkness. We don't want to be exposed. It's often why your friends don't come come to church. It can be discouraging to invite your friends to come to church a week after week. They don't want to be exposed. And we, like Leonardo DiCaprio in the movie Catch Me If You Can, we have become experts at hiding, experts at covering up, developed a craft in deceit, it's why we have so many sibling fights, right? It's why we're so critical of, of other people. Because we, we think to ourselves, if I can convince everyone that I'm not as bad as them, maybe actually even I will start to believe, maybe I'm not as bad. But the sad reality is, right, it's all can see it. All can see, we're not as good as DiCaprio. We're like a little four-year-old who, you know, is saying to their mom and dad, I, I don't have to pee. And all the while, they're just like uh, squirming. And, you know, it's clear this kid has to pee, right? <laughs> this is us. This is us. We're so impressive at the denial of sin in our lives. And it's silly, in fact. It is laughable, actually. And you know what Jesus does? He enters into that darkness. And he says, I see it. I see all of it. And I can handle it. Let me in. So today, if you are living a life of covering up, come into the light. Come into the light. Let the love of Jesus expose you. Acknowledge that you do deserve condemnation. That this would be just and this would be right. And receive this beautiful news that comes in verse 18. Whoever believes is not condemned. 
be free. Now, some of us have been a believer for many years. You've done, as Andrew mentioned last week, and done it again and again. You've repented of your sins. Each week, you're repenting. Each week, you're believing the truths of the faith, yet you are constantly troubled by your sin. And actually, for some of you, your sin is really the focus of your Christian life. And condemnation is really just written all over your name. It, it really just consumes your thoughts. Just constantly beating yourself up. Saying, I'm just terrible. Well, I'm one of these people. Um, in Malaysia, I actually had a woman come up to me and say, you know, you're, you're making so many self-deprecating comments. I think it's too much. And it, and it hit me. It's just so easy for us to just live in the sense of condemnation. And it, and it really flows out. It's really easy to see. It's easy to see from our defensiveness. We can't bear being wrong. Because most of the week, we're just beating ourselves up. It's totally living under condemnation. So we can't handle anyone else saying we have wrong in us. We have sin in us. Some of us are so afraid that something terrible is just going to happen as if God is just looking to punish us. We just feel like we're just swimming in condemnation. And, we, and oftentimes we don't even realize it. Because of this, we lose our joy. We lose our freedom in the gospel. We need to return to focus on the love of God. Now, our catechism is super helpful on this point, helping us see the biblical understanding of repentance and belief. It says that in order to repent, we must acknowledge the mercy of God. Do you get that? Now, oftentimes, I've apologized to Blair. I've said, I'm sorry, but I wouldn't go to her. I would remain at this great distance towards her. But the reality is, in order to be sorry, you just have to go to the person. You actually have to soak in those beautiful words that they're going to say to you, I forgive you. But you know what we most often do? We most often say, I can't forgive myself. But do you know how prideful that is? Do you know how misguided that is? You weren't the one who was wronged. That person was the one who was wrong. So you need to go and embrace that person. And embrace them. And as you embrace them, to just feel their love. Feel the fact that they bore your sin. They felt the pain of your sin. And now it is released from you. This is what it's like to experience the love of God. The love of God will unthaw our frozen hearts and allow us to actually enjoy God, to actually enjoy the life that he has granted to us and to love other people. Now, if you knew the backstory of this senior pastor coming out, um, you would be even more surprised. Um, his first time he came out while I was in seminary was miserable. 
it was, it was terrible, and it was terrible because I was incredibly unorganized. Um, I got us lost on the road a number of times. Um, the schedule was not put together all that well. Um, I had not prepared them for a number of important things like the weather <laughs> um, and the trainings. I didn't ask him of his preferences, food preferences, the senior pastor's food preferences, you know, um, what would you like to do for an outing? Um, you know, I was just so excited to be back to Malaysia <laughs> that I just totally lost sight of the people that I had brought to Malaysia and the fact that they were having a miserable time. Now, it's added certainly a layer of offense that I was so happy, blissfully happy, happy. Um, but as if it couldn't get any worse, this senior pastor had a deathly allergy to shellfish. Now, shellfish is just in all of the sauces, uh, you know. Um, and so I, I remember I did make an attempt to this waiter to say he's allergic to shellfish, but apparently not good enough because he would get very sick. And um, I remember we'd take him to his hotel and we'd say, are you going to be okay? And, um, and, you know, what hurt him the most is sadly, we actually said, okay, I guess you're going to be okay. And then we, we took off. So you, you need to be clear. This wasn't just a senior pastor who was coming to meet me in my misery. This was a pastor who had experienced me being very untrustworthy, leading him on a trip to Malaysia. This was a senior pastor whom I had hurt grievously and greatly offended, very respected man. And yet, he loved me. And he came a second time. Knowing my failures, knowing my weakness, and he loved me. This is the extravagant love of God. This is the context in which Jesus is entering to our world. This is not a lovely place. We are people who are not trustworthy. Are we aware of that? We are a people who have grievously hurt the Lord Jesus. He would come and literally we would hurt him. We have offended God again and again. We have offended him. Verse 19, so painful. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness. And there's no exceptions here. Even as you look at verse 21, there are those who are walking in the light. But isn't it fascinating? Verse 21 tells us that they are enabled. They have been enabled by God. Their works, their good deeds, they've been carried out by God himself. So here we come back full circle to last week. It is God who brings about the new birth. But then verse 20 goes a step further. And I believe that most non-believers would really have a hard time even admitting this reality. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light. Now, most non-Christians I talk to reject Christianity because they say, you know, uh, Christianity is just, it's not my thing. Um, you know, or I have this disagreement 
um, with this part of the Bible, um, or, you know, I don't fit in with church people. That's just uh, not my group. And it's as if Jesus comes and says, no, no, you hate me. You hate me. You love yourself. You don't want to be exposed. So you run from me. Now, what's incredible about this passage, as you think about, again, its context, is this is an implied invitation to Nicodemus. Nicodemus, who came while it was dark. Something significant there, okay? Came while it was dark. And it's as if Jesus is saying, you don't have to hide, Nicodemus. You don't have to hide anymore. Come, be free. Come into the light. Look at the love of God. This is what all of us need to do today. We just need to take a hard look at the love of God. We need to come clean about our sin and come deep into this church. It is so incredibly easy to come to church to enjoy the benefits of community, but yet I'm gonna keep an arm's length. I'm gonna remain on the, the outer edges because I don't wanna get too close. I, I don't want people to really see me for who I am. But friends, if, if you wanna be free, if you want the freedom that Jesus brings, if you wanna experience the life that God has called us to, you gotta come all the way in. Come all the way on in. And you need to know for sure that Jesus is gentle. Jesus is so full of grace and love. You will find healing. You will find peace. You will find joy. Do you see, friends, the incredible links in which God has done to come into this world? Do you see how amazing it is that he has entered into our very own darkness? Like this friend, Paul, this senior pastor who, who loved me, invading my life again and again and again. This is the love of God over his children. It just keeps coming, just keeps on coming. Will you humbly receive it or will you run? To receive it, you will experience such incredible warmth. Some of us are longing for spring. I'm longing for spring. I'm longing for the warmth of the sun. There is no greater warmth than coming to your father, receiving his love through the sun and being restored to him and enjoying him day after day after day, living at peace with your maker. This is life. This is what we were made for, friends. Let us bask in that light. Let's pray. Holy Father, we praise you. We praise you for this incredible salvation that you have brought to the world. How glorious it is that you would save sinners. And that not only would you rescue them from a life of condemnation, eternally, 
but you would bring us into fellowship life with you for all eternity. Father, we thank you for this glorious news that we have. We pray that we would make it known to the world. Father, for those who are running, those who are hiding, I pray today they would find freedom, freedom in Christ. We pray all this in his name. Amen. Amen.